Today, we dive deeper into Neil Gaiman versus Todd McFarlane with part two as we discuss exactly why did Neil Gaiman sue Todd McFarlane? What circumstances led to him finally giving this over to his lawyers? What were the broken promises, the the, the misunderstandings, and did Neil Gaiman really try to negotiate with Todd for five long years before it all blew up? Find out that and so much more on an all-new episode of Observations. Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of Raw Observations. I am your host, Rob Liefeld on Raw Observations. We discuss all things comic books, superheroes, and the tremendous impact they continue to have on, on pop culture at large. And on today's episode, we are continuing a series in our comic book feuds category. Because boy, do comic book people know how to feud and none were bigger and had more consequences than than this particular comic book feud between acclaimed author Neil Gaiman and uh, uber popular comic book artist Todd McFarlane. This thing went the distance, as you're going to see today. Uh, it, it 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 went through the courts. It had incredible ramifications. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna find that characters that were once with Todd McFarlane ended up in the possession of of Neil Gaiman and then ultimately in the possession of Marvel Comics. It it is it is crazy. It gripped and in an entire comic book industry. And and we, we laid the groundwork in our first part. You 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 must absolutely, if you have not already listened to the first part of, of this particular comic book feud, Neil Gaiman versus Todd McFarlane, so that you can get the full uh groundwork that we laid giving you the 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 conditions the environment the 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 exact uh the the exact manner with which this kind of comes to a head and we're going to we're going to give you an overview but boy all of the details lie in that very first edition so I would encourage you to to uh to listen to part 1 Neil Gaiman of of Sandman of Death his two giant uh DC uh mega mega hits mega blockbusters uh, Neil Neil has a really huge, uh, wide ranging audience. I, I, I said in the first uh, first episode, he's he is referred to often as 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 a comic book poet or comic books own poet. Uh, he is uh, extremely imaginative, uh, leans into the supernatural and the uh, the romantic with with plenty of whimsy to spare. He also is the author of Bad Omens, which has also become a television show, along with Sandman, which had its its first uh, season recently on Netflix. And then, in, in case you did not know, he was a co-author, along with co- Henry Selleck, of Coraline, the, the animated uh, hit Coraline. So, so Neil Neil's accomplishments are are many. The the, the amount of books uh, that that he has written are, are too numerous. The, the amount the amount of hit books he's written are too numerous to list here. Todd McFarlane, Spider-Man and Spawn. Those are the two words that are going to come to your mind when we discuss Todd McFarlane, Spider-Man and Spawn. Tremendous imprint on both. This all begins when Todd McFarlane in 1993 decides 
that he wants to hire four of comics' most acclaimed writers to contribute issues to Spawn, and and this is going to boost his sales. Now, six hundred thousand is not sagging sales. Every comic book in the comic book marketplace right now would kill for sales of six hundred thousand. But all those image books had launched in the millions, and due to just attrition, by the time Todd reaches out by the issue by by issue Spawn six to try and put this. Uh, this together, the, the, this incredible run that's going to go eight, nine, ten, eleven. I believe is the is the are, are the four issues. Uh, don't hold me to that. I, I know Neil Gaiman's issue is number nine. Todd is uh, his spawn sales by by, uh, by his own admission are in the six hundred thousand range, and he wants to get those back up. And he sees an industry, and he cites his 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 own his own fellow image partners and founders as being part of it, but it was Marvel, it was DC, it was Valiant, it was Dark Horse. Everyone at this time was uh, participating in the incredible advances in printing technology way back, maybe issue season one, season two, uh, one of the episodes uh, that, that, that deals with the rise of image comics also concerns that the, the printers from all the big, uh, the, the, the big printing companies that were that were competing for our business on our books were coming with briefcases and portfolios full of new shiny paper ink. Uh, I, 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 I did thermal ink on a cover to a comic book called Blood Strike, where if you rubbed it, the, the, the blood would, would evaporate. I had seen thermal ink on t-shirts. I wanted to apply it to a comic. Now I could. Holochrome. Uh, the, the, a thing called mirror coat, which of course was you could see your reflection in, glow in the dark, die cut, uh, raised lettering, all, all, all of this, all of this stuff was just was flooding all of the different publishers who were having a really good time trying to utilize it into the actual art. Uh, with mirror coat, obviously, I I, I put it on, and and uh, I'm just I'm using my specific examples on mirror coat. I put it on a character that had had armor, so of course it, it it that is the gimmick and the art complementing each other, going hand in hand. Todd's gimmick wanted to be uh, organic writers and 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 boast that I have some of the best writers. It was great. It was a a, a a huge aspirational goal to 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 use that to boost interest and boost sales in Spawn. One of the writers that he contacted was Neil Gaiman who had to be, uh, by his own admission, had to have his arm twisted a little in, in order to, to join the fray. And when he did, when he was convinced, and we cover all of this in part one, he, he created, in my opinion, the very best issue of Spawn, and, and fans tend to agree with this one. Response to, to, to Spawn 9 was off the charts. It expanded the mythology. He gave you... Uh, Angela, female angels uh, uh, that, that hunt spawn, that actually hunt spawns, that wear their emblems, their their logos on their belts as as, as pelts. He he came up with a method specifically how the angels vanquish the spawns. He introduced you to a spawn from medieval times called medieval spawn in armor, riding on a horse. It it, it was very very cool. It's 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 so imaginative and Cagliostro. A significant figure that would go on to to be to to have his his uh, his profile bolstered well after Neil left Cogliostro 
became extremely important. Kind of the the Obi Wan Kenobi, the guy with all the the the, the secrets and the tutelage that, that that would lie ahead and and instruct Spawn. So so Neil comes in to Spawn and and by from Neil's testimony that we read from, he uh, specifically cites that he asked Todd, "Well, who do who do the Spawns fight?" I don't know. Was Todd's Todd's uh, Todd's answer? He told Todd told him that he didn't have much. He basically had, you know, this guy Spawn was killed, worked for the CIA, came back. Now he's in this different form, and he is training to lead uh, the Devil's Army. Okay, so so, and when 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 Neil would ask what what more was there than that, Todd said, "I don't have anything." And of course, Neil stepped up to the breach, created this in, in, in just amazingly, especially for the time, imaginative, the most imaginative issue of Spawn to date, and it laid the groundwork for all that would follow. So he was compensated along with the other four writers. They all, according to these documents, and again, I need to tell you, everything, most everything that I'm going to share, all the court documents, the transcripts, the reporting, the interviews come from depositions uh, and, 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 and materials that were obtained by the author Daniel Best who compiled them all. You, you can get a hold of this stuff. You can pay the fees. You can hunt them down. And he did. He did incredible research. And he created this book, The World versus Todd McFarlane, published in 2019. I share liberally with you on this episode, on these episodes from this book. So, so that is, and, and, and my source, in my source, he sources all of his sources, which makes it even more richer in, in regards to, to the information that you're receiving from this. You, I, 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 I talked to Daniel. I said, Daniel, you should expect orders on this book. You can go on Amazon. You can, you can uh, uh, purchase copies right now. Uh, as I was doing uh, in between episodes, as I, was, uh, as I was doing more research for this episode, I looked again. It's available. You can grab it. It is a page turner. It is a barn burner. Not all of the information within these pages I'm, I'm going to share with you, but I am going to share as much as I possibly can to round out the picture and give you a, a, an exact uh, image of, of how this was all going down. But in terms of compensation, uh, Neil, Neil Gaiman says that all of the writers received the same amount. Uh, they all got $100,000 for their cont- contribution. And you're like, what? Hey, that, look, that was the kind of money that was being thrown around at the time in Image Comics. We 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 were offering seminal talents six figure deals, many times up front. Some 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 talents took them, some didn't. I was offering rookie pencilers, guys who had done a couple issues of comic books for Marvel Comics. I was offering them forty thousand an, an issue, untested, untested, with no real sales impact. So so Neil Gaiman, Alan Moore. These guys getting $100,000 uh, for, for the comic book, as was laid out in our first part, was, was par for the course. Neil also checked it against some of the royalties that he would be getting for, from DC Comics that were in that same range. So why did Neil uh, go, go, you know, become at cross purposes with Todd McFarlane? That, that, that is the question that many people, uh, some people have even said, but he went in there and, and did a, did a, derivative of 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 spawn spawn already existed medieval spawn is just a derivative but okay it goes way beyond that but but interestingly enough because this went to court and it was was in in the in the hands of a jury medieval spawn was given complete co-authorship to neil you know think about 
if the book if a book was as popular as Spider-Man and you started making all the derivatives, uh, there is likelihood that you would get a piece uh, uh, of one of those if you go the distance. Because once you're going to put this in the court's hand, I'm giving Spider, I'm putting Spider-Man out there as a big what if. There is no situation like this with Spider-Man. We all know that there's all manner, especially given across the multiverse and the Spider-Verse, all the, I mean, across the Spider-Verse, all the Spider-Verse movies that have been coming out, uh, we're getting tons and tons and tons. I mean, th- the reason that I was so excited for the first Spider-Verse movie was they were, <laughs> they were giving Peter Porker, okay, Spider-Ham, which I, I enjoyed in the, in, in the mid and late 80s. I couldn't believe he was, he was going to get uh, you know, time in this movie. And not only that, I bought the action figure and it's been on my desk ever since for, for four years now. My, my Peter Porker action figure is on my, is on my drawing desk. I love him. He's perfect, but he is in fact a derivative. But in in a world where that was an independent comic, and everything wasn't locked down, maybe somebody takes me, and 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 it's my book, let's say, and and takes me and and contests me on Spider Ham. I am going to put that in the hands of a jury, and they're going to decide. And in this case, Medieval Spawn came out, and I, I I I can't tell you why. I don't know why the decisions went this way. But this is how the decisions go. But more importantly, it is Angela and it is Cogliostro who are the huge impact players in this game because of how they affected the Spawn universe and that they were wholly imagined by Neil as part of his contributions to the Spawn issue. And the most important thing is you're going to see there was no contract. And, and Neil asked repeatedly for a contract. So, so when, when other people do a deal with me on a profit or an Evangeline or, 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 or a property that a movie studio, a movie studio with all their, you know, billions of dollars wants to invest in. I have to show them all the forms, all the signed agreements that I have. Everybody who's ever drawn or written profit, I have those agreements. I show those to them there. They were work for hire agreements because I created profit and, and most of the characters that you see running around the profit movie were originated in the issues of profit that I created. Ditto for Evangeline, whom I share uh, uh, control with Tony Libido and Kathy Christian. That's in the indicia. That's in the comic book. We have agreements. We have understandings. People who worked on that book, I have, I have signed work for hire agreements for all that stuff. If you work for Marvel, if you work for DC, those are standard. That's standard operating procedure. Neil asked for a contract with Todd, was not granted a contract with Todd, and that is where everything kind of falls apart. And yes, if at the end of the day, you just kind of go, well, had, had, had there been a specific contract with Neil Gaiman, none of this would have happened, and you would be correct. That would be 100% correct. So we're going to pick this up. It was at the end of episode one that Neil had implied that he had been trying to get Todd McFarlane to kind of come to a proper compensation package with him when Todd had gone ahead and bought the $3 million baseballs, the, the Mark McGuire baseballs, I believe. Uh, and, and this is after he is handed a judgment by a hockey player who is also suing Todd named Tony Twist, who got a $24 million judgment in his, uh, in his case where, where he was suing Todd uh, on a, on a couple of different counts, he didn't. Tony Twist did not get every count. Uh, 
he, he did not win on every count. And, and, and that, that, that we go into a little more specifics at the end of the first episode, the end of the first chapter of this Gaiman versus McFarlane. But he had a judgment looming over him. Todd did. After this Tony Twist hockey player uh, trial, Tony Twist uh, believed that he had been portrayed as a, as a mobster, a gangster, a villainous person, didn't like that his name was attached to this. Uh, there, there were different witnesses along the way. Uh, Wizard Magazine had participated in in in, in some of the uh, in, in in some of the depositions and given their their testimony and and all of that had gone to put Todd in a corner, saying that yes, Todd had been you know uh, was aware of hockey, was aware of Tony Twist. There was a correlation anyway. That jury found for Tony Twist. There was some commentary by Todd. He believed that that hurt feelings uh, are, aren't breaking the law and. He would appeal this decision, and while he kicked it into the appeals court, he bought the baseballs. Neil believed, as you're going to find out right now, that given that he had already been trying to come to a deal with Todd for five years since 1995, that that he saw like, wait, he won't deal with me, but he's out buying baseballs. And again, Neil is a very eloquent Englishman. He'll even refer to himself a couple times today as the Englishman, uh, and and. He he saw that as an affront. Like you can't take care of me, but you're out doing that. That is cited by the publisher Larry Martyr at the time, who would eventually go on to work for Todd. He is on record as saying that is what set Neil off, and then kind of created the, the firestorm that would follow. So in the chapter uh, on page 97 of the World versus Todd McFarland, it says Todd runs Neil around. So here's where we where we pick up a lot of what was going on. Again, uh, just just kind of, I really wanted to address. So many of you are like, how? What was his complaint? Well, he had no contract for these characters, and and two of them happened to be incredibly important in the formation of the Spawn mythology. And medieval Spawn was one of the first of the derivatives, and it had quite some impact. So there was a lot of balls in play here. A lot a lot of stuff that was up in the air and nothing had been locked down. And you're going to find out right now what ignited it specifically beyond the allegation uh, that Larry Martyr put forth that the baseballs really set Neil off. Uh, the entire time that Todd was being sued by Tony twist, Tony twist, the, 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 the NHL player. And the entire time that he was uh, engaged in that, he was negotiating with Neil Gaiman over money's owed and promises broken. Again, reading directly from Daniel Best, The World versus Todd McFarlane. Angela, the character that Gaiman had created and introduced in Spawn 9, had proven to be somewhat of a hit with readers. It didn't hurt that Gaiman was writing the character, but other than the one-off payment of the considerable sum of $100,000, Gaiman had seen very little out of the character. McFarlane was now producing Angela action figures and reprinting the Neil Gaiman-written stories. While seemingly, and this word fobbing, F-O-B-B-I-N-G, while seemingly fobbing Gaiman off with promises of future payments. In 1995, Gaiman des- decided to take the lead and address these with McFarland directly. Todd did a medieval spawn toy. It was one of the first rollouts of his action figure line. He credited me unasked, which I thought was very nice of him. And, uh, and he gave me a check for 20 grand which, although it didn't come with any breakdown of how it was derived, 
uh, it was just with a helpful note. It said, this is from Todd because we love you or something like that. I was told on the phone that this was my royalty share of the medieval spawn toy, which I thought, hey, that's pretty cool. Now, when I get royalties and I have uh, royalty cuts on, on anything with other publishers, whether it's Dove over at DC Comics or all the stuff that I created for Marvel, that comes with breakdowns. This much for video games, this much for comic book sales, trade paperback sales, hardcovers, omnibuses, action figures, categories, okay? So 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 normally it comes with, so Neil's saying this didn't come, it just came with a note. He said, so he had been paid money for the toy. And, uh, and, and Neil had also written an Angela series with Greg Capullo drawing. He had done a, I believe it was three issues. I remember buying each and every issue. I was one of the people really taken with Angela and, and, and her story and how it expanded the Spawn universe. So he's gotten this payment on the action figure. And he said, in 1995, the, the, cover of usa today and what i believe he's probably maybe it's the actual cover of usa today but it could have been the entertainment section of usa today he says uh todd's toys made the cover of usa to usa today as the most inappropriate toys of the year according to the american family association and i would uh hear that todd was was having tremendous success selling these toys they were incredibly popular angela was among them he said this is great i'm going to get royalties on these and nothing ever happened beyond the first payment. And he, Neil, Neil says in his deposition, I would call Todd's people and I'd say, is there a payment coming? And they say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry about that. We're not businessmen here. A direct quote. We aren't businessmen here. He said, Todd would say that a lot. He, he would say a lot that, hey, I'm not a businessman. I'm just a comic creator. So just bear with me uh, with the certain amount of disorganization that I have. I have a funny way of doing things, Todd says. So Neil says, I waited and I waited. I never saw any royalties. I had written this Angela miniseries. And the main reason that he had done it is because his son, who was 14 at the time, he says, if memory serves, had found a copy of Spawn and these medieval Spawn toys. And he thought they were really good, really cool. Again, our kids can, can give us inspiration to go in directions maybe we didn't necessarily plan to as creators. But then you go, hey, my kid likes this. I'm going to do more of this. So, so he cites one of the reasons that he went on and did more Angela work, that Angela uh, miniseries that was later, later collected. He did that because his son thought it was so cool. And then his son said, Dad, why don't you write something I can read? I, I love this Spawn stuff. He said, Todd, now, this is Neil Gaiman, says, I found Todd. And I said, look, I'm, I'll go ahead and I'll do this Angela series for you. Let's do it as a three-issue miniseries. And Todd agreed and said, great. So Angela comes out. And... At the time, Todd McFarlane expressed that he did not like trade paperbacks. Todd said to me several times, just in conversation, there were things he didn't like and things, and he didn't, he didn't like trade paperbacks because they weren't proper comics and he doesn't trust them. Again, these are statements that Neil is saying, uh, rec- recalling conversations and commentary that Todd made to him about these trade paperbacks. This is, this is kind of a, a wild statement. Meanwhile, I'm making a huge part of my income from trade paperbacks from all other sources. And I saw that there was an enormous demand for them. So at one point they said, hey, we're going to do Angela in trade, paperback, trade paperback. And I said, great, Neil says. We should work out a royalty deal on this trade paperback. I was feeling much less comfortable by that point with this idea. So I said to him, let's get a royalty deal on this. 
up until that point, the only way that things were operating was that I would get this check and they would say, hey, here's a check for $800 because Todd thinks you're a good guy. And, <laughs> and I actually saw in the press at one point an interview. Uh, there, was, there was Todd where he was saying, we don't do royalties. We just send love checks and they're better than royalties could ever be. Neil says he stopped trusting the love checks. He stopped trusting the love checks. And I don't think you can argue with this particular reasoning that he's going to come up with. He said, towards the end of 1995, so we are approaching 96, I was thinking, no, no, this is Neil again, his, 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 uh, his testimony. And again, you go, well, where is this testimony coming from? The great thing about Daniel Best's work is in the back per, per chapter, he gives you the annotations. He gives you exactly, exactly where all of the uh, he he gives you he gives you all of the the you know it's like a term paper. He tells you exactly where he got each quote. And under this one, under this one, this this particular uh, th- th- this this particular quote. If you go okay, so this is Todd runs Neil around. And then it is Neil Gaiman's deposition. I am reading from Neil Gaiman's actual deposition uh, in his in his legal dispute with Todd, June twenty fourth, two thousand and two. He is saying this quote that towards the end of nineteen ninety five, I'm getting a little testy here. This is Neil. I felt like there were no checks coming in. He had these things and he wasn't paying and there seemed to be real no, no real effort to pay. And I was concerned that, as I said earlier, Todd could either sell the toy business to, to Mattel or he could get hit by a truck and there would be no paper records of any kind of deal. And I thought we needed to memorialize this deal. So, so again, and one of the reasons uh, that, that Todd did the Youngblood toys, my own Youngblood toys, I had a deal with Mattel. They papered me an offer of a half a million dollars, $500,000 to do the Youngblood toys. The reason that Todd did not get the Savage Dragon and did not get Wildcats is because they went with another toy company. Todd was running out of options. He wanted to expand his his, uh, toy operations after the initial launch of the very successful, very popular spawn line and he wanted to lock down other image comics because he felt like this is part of why this th- these are doing so well is people are buying our image comics they are the number one the top selling comics and this is the only way to get merchandise is through these crazy great action figures that todd was making and they were they were great i've done an entire episode by the way on how todd should be enshrined in the toy hall of fame or something if there is if there is something reflecting that he changed the toy business and i and i detail in that episode, how Todd changed the toy business. So Todd's toy action figure line was exploding. And, and at the time, I would tell you, Todd was really trying to lock everyone up. So he said, show me the Mattel deal. I had a deal. And he said, I will give you a deal. I'll match that deal. Would you go with me if I matched that deal? So Todd and I had a deal uh, that reflected the, the Mattel deal. And if I had a toy deal then i guess it's 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 goes to understand that neil wanted a toy deal as well you want to get that stuff uh, on paper so neil was looking for something substantial again he wanted a deal that 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 could memorialize his words from his deposition 
Todd McFarlane saw another way, it says, to appease Neil Gaiman. It was a move that he felt would cost him far less than he now owed. He would give Neil Gaiman Miracle Man. Todd says, I was hoping that there'd be a wild card in the deck called Miracle Man that may or may not have some value. You know, we need to, we need to read this. I, I, I got to read this like Todd. I, I, I was hoping there was a, a wild card in the deck called Miracle Man that may or may not have some value, you know? And, and so if we sort of hit a snag where we couldn't resolve some of the issues and, and, and maybe there is, is a sort of a more non-traditional way to resolve it by going to like a character swap or a hostage swapping, if you will, you know, uh, of, of some characters. And so Miracle Man potentially became just that. So that is where Todd thought that he could leverage uh, the interest that he believed he had in Miracle Man. We have to now kind of give you this uh, understanding of Miracle Man. I'm going to do it really quickly. Miracle Man, great character, incredibly acclaimed, acclaimed character, uh, legendary work by Alan Moore, uh, Alan Davis, Gary Leach, Neil Gaiman, Steve Bissett, John, uh, not John, Steve Bissett, Bissett, John Toddleman. So many great names. Uh, Mark Buckingham and Neil Gaiman, I believe, were working on it when it was when it was closing down shop. It was published by Eclipse. They had gotten the rights. It was originally over uh, over in in England. It was published as Marvel Man. Obviously, that they had to change that. It then became Miracle Man. It was a great comic. It's one of my, if not my favorite. Uh, works of alan moore i know that marvel has a omnibus of it because i just literally bought it two weeks ago i bought the omnibus i it had passed me by i didn't want to miss it this time so i made sure i collected it it is epic work a comic book company named eclipse comics was going out of business the greatest asset that they seemed to have was miracle man todd bought that uh company and i mean down to the film uh, whatever paper clips were left, he literally bought the company as it was. Uh, I think they filed Chapter Seven. Don't quote me on that. The, 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 the thing with 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 Eclipse Comics is it went out of business. They had a sale of their assets uh, through through a through a bankruptcy situation, and in that assets there was the belief that Miracle Man was part of it. Here's the deal: they were then informed they being anyone who was buying Eclipse afterwards, and you'll, 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 we'll detail some of that paperwork. But Todd, in this instance, he's the most important person to be informed, was told that the copyrights uh, to Miracle Man weren't part of that, that those were assigned to the specific authors as they did the work, and that was their understanding when they did the work. So by buying Eclipse, he did not, in fact, buy Miracle Man, and you'll find out that he never had it to bargain with in the first place. But at this point, or it was ruled, let me say it was ruled, that Todd did not have the rights to Miracle Man that he believed, so he could not deal it. But at this point, he's thinking, Neil has an affection for this character, and I could just put it completely into his possession. So that is what, th th this is now a strategy. Rather than uh, pay the money that was owed, he would, he says, a hostage swap, a character swap. That Those were Todd's words from his own deposition. Uh, Todd and Neil meet. They meet in Phoenix. It doesn't, it doesn't go well. It doesn't go as planned. It doesn't go as well as planned is the specific sentence. Uh, Neil was quite clear as to what he saw happening at that meeting. Again, these are from Neil's depositions. 
Todd kept saying, you can trust me. I will send you. I will send you bigger checks. Again, that, that repetitiveness is straight from the deposition. I will send you, comma, I will send you bigger checks than you will get if you have a contract. I said, Todd, call me silly, but I'd much rather have a contract written that says I get $500 in royalties than $1,500 that will turn up on a whim. That and, and could end the moment that you decide, hey, this is not convenient anymore. Again, Neil just wants the terms locked down. He just wants an understanding that is binding. And, and Neil has agents. He, he said in the first part of this episode, he, that, that the first part of this feud, I detailed how Neil gave a percentage of his payment that he received from Todd to his agent. And the agent said, where's the contract that goes with this payment? And he said, Todd said he will treat me better than D.C. He will, he's going to show me how much he treats me better than DC. And the agent said, do you trust him? And he said, yes, I trust him. And, and so, so Neil's trust is coming to an end, obviously given his feelings and how he's communicating them in, in some of these depositions during this time. Continuing with, with, with Neil's statements from his deposition, he said that Todd claimed that Neil was crazy. And I said, that was how, you know, I just assumed that, that I was being billed. And we then wound up, that's an actual quote. He said that he thought I was crazy. And I said, that was how, you know, you just assume that I was being billed. Like, you're just making me out to be crazy, Todd. And we then wound up on very bad terms. And, and Todd had to wrap the meeting up very quickly. Larry Martyr had come out of the meeting that we were having because he had just learned that Mark Silvestri had left the image partnerships that, that day. So they all had to get on the phone and try to start sorting things out. That was the way it was left with Todd saying, do you trust me? Neil says, and I'm, I'm kind of just staggered by this still. He says, I trust you completely. He said, good, then we're going to work this out in a way that will be fine. I'm really pleased you came here, Neil. You've been completely reasonable. We're going to sort this out. And he also mentioned to me at the end that he had just bought Miracle Man. And he said, what were you going to do with Miracle Man? What were you thinking about? Neil said, I don't know at this point. And he said, well, I've had lawyers look over the agreement that you've made with Alan Moore regarding Miracle Man. And I think we could break it. But obviously, we are going to honor it, Todd says. So you have, you know, we're going to respect your third of Miracle Man. But we need to figure that out. And it it could be a bargaining chip, Neil. And Neil said, well, that is fine. Because I'm sure as Neil is absorbing this, he's like, he's going, he's going to the Miracle Man place. Neil writes that, you know, Daniel Best writes that in a last ditch effort to bring things back on track, Larry Martyr, who was at Image as the publisher at the time, was brought in to help mediate a settlement between the creators. He was working in, an, in, in a role at, 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 Image, at Image Comics as executive director. I was asked by Todd or Neil if I could help mediate whatever misunderstandings there may have been at the time. I called Neil and said, that's my understanding that I should try to try to bring everybody to some sort of terms that I was willing to give it a a try. I asked Neil what he thought that should be. We were talking Angela, Medieval Spawn, Cagliostro. We're trying to establish the terms of Neil's DC contract because Neil said that, that we were trying to define his rights and reflect his DC contract. That's what we were trying to do. We were trying to match his DC contract is what Martyr says here. So then 
when when the contract was submitted uh to Todd and 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 the terms of his DC contract he said that Todd just sat on it and he didn't hear anything for quite some time and this this created frustration from from Neil Gaiman he wanted them to really reflect you know the stuff that he was being offered from DC Comics it, Neil Gaiman is quoted here as saying the deal that was being offered to me in my eyes was far worse than my DC contract for Sandman. So I had no problems rejecting it. So in 1997, so now we are two years past this, hey, Todd, I need to get this settled. 1997, uh, McFarlane phoned up Neil Gaiman with an offer. Cogliastro and Medieval Spawn, subject to McFarlane's accounting, for McFarlane giving Neil Gaiman, for McFarlane's giving to Gaiman all of the claims involvement and tangible uh, property in respect to the Miracle Man property. Neil said, I'll do it. Now, this is not Ansel at the time. This is just Cogliostro and Medieval Spawn. Uh, I am reading from a document that says this is to confirm the main point points. Touch, I assume this is a memo. This is to confirm the main points touched on in our conversation of July 15th, 1997. You agree with regard to the character of Angela, her appearances in spinoffs, merchandising, and foreign translations of Spawn 9 or the Angela miniseries that you'll be using the figures that we have put together based on the DC deal. That my rights in Cogliastro and Medieval Spawn as above will be exchanged for your share of Miracle Man. However, you will make all payments up until the date of the exchange for the use of the characters based on the same figures as above. You will include whatever you have in the way of inventory for films of Miracle Man received from Eclipse in the buyout. The date of the exchange and, and of the first accounting will be August 1st. There will be a $5,000 bonus paid to me, paid on the handover, essentially as an apology for having dragged this on so long. So this is Neil's proposal, his written memo proposing what's going on with Todd. That I have, exclusive of any other Angela projects, I might do with Todd McFarlane, the Todd McFarlane division of Image, the rights to do a one-off Angela Comics project and a one-off Medieval Spawn project on each of I would keep 100% of the revenue. That if these are team-up projects, they could go to the other comic companies. But if they exclusively feature the character in the title, I agree to do them with Image, although not necessarily with you, Todd McFarlane. That you will make that you will make the best effort to ensure that there is a created by Neil and Todd credit for Angela in all appearances in comics or other media. The clauses pertaining to Angela were important for Neil Gaiman. He had already broached he had broached the the, the possibility of a Batman Angela and an X-Men Angela featuring Phoenix crossover with both DC and Marvel. So DC had the Batman Angela, Marvel had the X-Men Phoenix. Gaiman would author both of them. Uh, and, and the companies were very excited to make this happen. So Neil is being very, uh, after two years, Neil is being very aggressive with what he understands, these, uh, he understands as his rights of these characters. Now you got to remember the 90s is all about, you know, Creators' rights, creators' rights. Image Comics was born on creators' rights. So having characters and getting them to, to jump over and team up with the other two big characters, those deals were, were, were happening. Youngblood teamed up with X-Force. I had Cable and Prophet team up. Spider-Man teamed up with Bad Rock. 
Jim led Wildcats and the X-Men teaming up. So so Supreme was, was fighting a character from Marvel called Gladiator. This was kind of the fun of the time, and there were huge sales to become to 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 to, to, uh, to be have huge sales from from these these team ups. And so Neil is looking at this possibility as, hey, I can get on in on some of that because again, Todd is operating the entire time under you know the idea that yes, Neil is entitled to equity positions on both Medieval Spawn and Cogliostro, and then Angela, even more so. So, 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 Todd just wants Medieval Spawn and Cogliostro, and he's going to use Miracle Man to get it, and Angela is, is basically going to continue to operate basically on a, on a separate, a separate term sheet that gives Neil more control. Well, Neil continues and says, I was talking to DC Comics in a Marvel Comics. Neil Gaiman tells the court. To, D- 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 to DC Comics, I talked to a man named Denny O'Neill, the editor of the Batman line, and we were going to do a Batman Medieval Spawn Angela book. I talked to Mike Carlin, who is the editor of the Justice League titles, about doing an Angela crossover. And then Chris Claremont, and yes, it, this is a brief window, Chris Claremont was actually acting in an editor capacity at Marvel. Neil said, I was talking to Chris about doing Angela with the X-Men, getting a feeling for all that we could do. It was here that the alarm bells were sounding for Neil Gaiman because both DC and Marvel said they were unable to reach Todd to discuss those projects. And if Todd's not on board giving his blessing, then they they don't go through. So furthermore, Neil continues to get the run the runaround. <clears throat> Neil says that every time here 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 is a uh, here is a, an example when when somebody says we'll talk to Bo about it. And and they said, "Who's Bo? Who's Bo Smith?" This is this is when Neil is being deposed. Bo Smith was somebody who'd originally worked with Eclipse. He later went on to work with Toy with Todd on the Toy Front, and Bo was working in some capacity. I had known him for a few years. I phoned him and I said, "I really want to get these projects with Marvel and DC underway. Can we get something out of Todd in writing so that we can just move forward with these Marvel and DC projects?" And the the person interviewing. Uh, Neil named Arntzen, A-R-N-T-S-E-N, says, and what did Bo Smith tell you? Neil said, he said, sounds good to me. I'm going to talk to the Toddmeister. He said that August 1st came and went. Remember in that memo, it says August 1st, this all needs to be initiated. August 1st came and went, and there was no exchange. Uh, No trademarks, no rights to the characters, no monies, no accountings. Again, you're, you're asking, why did this happen? Neil wants compensation. Neil wants a contract. He wanted it on day one. Todd said, trust me, I'm going to treat you better. In 1995, he says, I really need a contract. In 1997, August of 1997, there is no contract. And now there is no rights. There is no miracle man. There is no monies. So so Neil is getting uh, upset at the fact that he doesn't seem to be, his 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 desires, his, his, his acknowledgments, his agreements aren't being honored. It says at this stage, Neil Gaiman throws his hands in the air. He decides McFarlane was never going to honor his promises, so he handed the situation over to his lawyers. It would take another four years for this case to come to court. The reason for the final breakdown between the two men has always been in dispute. Neil Gaiman maintains that Tom McFarlane never honored the agreement that the two had worked out. Tom McFarlane felt that Neil Gaiman kept changing the overall parameters of the deal to the point where it became impossible to honor. All throughout this dispute, 
he had been taking advice from Terry Cunningham, who was in charge of contracts at DC Comics. Terry Cunningham had been telling Todd McFarlane how the royalty system operated and deeper negotiations and deeper negotiations went with Gaiman the more McFarlane relied on what he was being told. Eventually, Neil Gaiman asked, for one thing too much is Todd's opinion on this. I went over the ongoing conversations that we had, that we had talked about potentially confirming when we met in Oakland, and put all that again, uh, and put all that again feeling that Medieval Spawn, who was sort of the big crux in my sort of ongoing conversations, that I was essentially, uh, from my perspective, just wanted to get my spawn back. And that whatever I had traded, I felt that I was trading for something I already had. So at this point, I was like, I'm just going to keep all of this. That is a quote from Todd. I'm just going to keep all of this. And one of the things we had talked about is maybe continuing to give ongoing accounting going forward on Angela. And even that, I mean, we're essentially down to Miracle Man and Angela. That's all we've got at this point. He's got my money. He's got my money. I'm not going to get my money back out of this guy. He's speaking of Neil. Let's just cut this thing completely now. But to get near the finish line made me feel pretty good. And given that this is August and the Spawn movie's coming out, I'm just trying to enjoy my life. To find out that some of the information that had been a constant source of discussion may have not been completely forthright was becoming wearisome to me. And so again, at some point, the straw broke the camel's back. Neil, in good faith, had been receiving money trying to get the calculations that we were giving him based on what we thought was truthful information. And he had my money and my character and was giving me back something that essentially something that we had, that he had represented, that he had from my perspective. I am reading this word for word, people. So so some of the the, the difficulty in, in reading these sentences, I'm experiencing them as you are listening to them, but I'm trying to get this word for word. He didn't, and I was never going to get money back from Neil. I didn't think that would ever be true. So I had to grab something. The only thing that was still left was I gave him money and Miracle Man. The money was gone, so I told him, get Miracle Man back. Neil, in trying to settle some more numbers, Neil, in trying to settle, gave me more numbers. That's when I had another follow-up conversation with Terry Cunningham. She told me that those numbers were not correct. So now we're in a spot where I don't know where the beginning of the truth is because we are essentially almost back to square one. What are we talking about now? Because we can't seem to get a handle on, at least from my perspective, Todd says, at least from my perspective, I can't get a handle on what it is we're trying to resolve because now we're going, well, who has what? It may have been on how you spend money on people in movies or television shows on or how the divide they divide these monies up. I don't recall the specific numbers. I just felt that whatever it was, again, was inconsistent with information I was getting. I think it may have been, I think it may have been Hollywood stuff. It might have been an actual breakdown of that category. I think most of the numbers that Neil and I passed back and forth to each other were representatives. I don't remember the specifics. All I remember was that at the end of the conversation going, Here's another inconsistency, and that was my emotional break at that point. What you have just read is three long paragraphs of Todd expressing his opinion on the matter. These quotes, all those long statements that I just shared to you, was are from Todd's deposition. Todd's deposition from June. Todd's deposition Todd deposition, June 19th, 2002. So again, June 19th, 2002. Daniel Best has got the receipts. He shares them with all of us. 
I am trying to give you so you understand as best you possibly can. So Todd is Todd feels if you if you summarize those paragraphs that he's being given the runaround. He believes that Neil's changing. Uh, he, he, Neil's changing his expectations. This is Todd's expression, and that the numbers are changing back and forth. And maybe there's some Hollywood stuff. And really, he just wants to have a good life. Spawn is coming out. And uh, and he continues, Todd says, I called Terry Cunningham. I don't remember the specifics other than I got the same answer, which is, it doesn't work that way, Todd. This was the proverbial straw. This was the proverbial straw on the camel's back. So this is why the conversation isn't as nearly as important as the ongoing burden leading up to this. So I hope that clarifies it. From my point of view, everything up to that point was rescinded and null and void. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Okay. You know what? This requires a reading. From my point of view, when everything up to that point was rescinded and null and void, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. He's got money. I've been giving him money at this point based on things that may or may not be true. He's been feeding me potentially things that are not completely truthful. He's potentially taken as a swap, as a part of this miracle man. And I got suckered. I got suckered here. And I just went, no, no. It's not going to happen. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is a dramatic reading uh, in McFarland voice of a McFarland statement. He continues and says, because uh, that takes a lot out of me, okay? I know you guys dig it. it, it, it that, that, you you got to summon something special there. I may have gotten on the phone and went, you know what? Grab Miracle Man back because that wasn't a fair swap. After that, between Neil and I, dead silence. Later on, I think he wasn't getting payments. He was going, what's happening? What's happening? Where's my payment? I think I sent it. You know, I got to read this. I, I may have gotten on the phone and, and went, you know what? Grab Miracle Man back because that wasn't a fair swap. After that, between Neil and I, dead silence. Later on, I think he wasn't getting payments. He was going, what's happening? What's happening? Where's my payments? I think I sent him out a letter say, stating there's no deal. You can obviously imagine that most likely didn't go off, didn't go, go, go over well. Daniel Best writes in The World versus Todd McFarlane on page 106, in a classic cake case of Rossamon, <laughs> Rossamon, ah, I never get that right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's classic about two different perspectives of story. Neil Gaiman sees things different. The specifics of ownership were never discussed. I, <clears throat> I'm going to do my best. You know, <clears throat> the specifics of ownership were never truly discussed. I would never have pushed for 50-50 ownership of medieval spawn. I felt he was a derivative character on that, although, yes, I was the creator of that character. I would not have felt that I was owed 50% share in him. In case of Cogliastro, absolutely. I got a response from Larry Modra after a while that came with a fairly pitiful offer, and I thought, this is strange and silly. I phoned Larry and I said, well, can you explain some of this stuff to me? Can you explain how net is going to be calculated and so on and so forth? And he said, no, I cannot. You will have to trust Todd. He then sent me another version of what of that with a little more information about the toys. I looked and I said, this is not what's been promised to me. This isn't what I thought we were working together for. The last thing Todd says is, you can trust me, and I'm going, and I'm going, I can trust you, so on and so forth. This is Neil talking. 
just sends my British, my British imitation. And now he's coming back with this deal. And it was, you know, this 2% of net for this and half a percent of net for this. And I'm going, that's not, that's not what we are into here. This is ridiculous, Neil states. I was under the impression that everything was fine. Even as late as April of 1989, I got a healthy royalty payment from foreign printings. Uh, he said, he talked to the people from DC and Marvel saying, we want to do these one shots. We want to do these Angela projects. We're interested. Let's do them. I was uh, trying to decide between doing Angela Justice League and Angela X-Men at Marvel and probably doing a medieval spawn Batman as well because I had an idea for that. But what would happen is that Todd wouldn't call anyone back and we couldn't put it through. He said, I found this to be a bit odd. The thing about the 1988, 89 is, is, is uh, a random statement by Neil just basically saying like he, on his other projects, he had been getting you know royalty statements uh, equity sharings going back to 89. So now he, he, here he is in, in, uh, in this situation, as we've said, we are now, you know, at the close of the nineties and nothing has happened. He said, uh, Neil Gaiman says at the end of 1998, there'd been no payments of any kind. And at that time I sent a fax to Mr. McFarland saying, can I have a photocopy of whatever you have? Uh, and and he says he was signing on a tour for his book Stardust. He got to San Francisco and he got a message from his, his assistant that FedEx had just dropped something. Again, he had asked Todd, send me uh, photocopies of, of, whatever, of whatever you have. And so his assistant says, I just got this FedEx. It had come from, uh, it had come from Minneapolis and it was from Todd McFarlane. He says, great, when I get home, I'm going to have to look at this. This is, again, Neil now anticipating what he's going to find in this package. I was on a 30-city signing tour. Everything was waiting until I was done. I got home. I looked at this thing that Todd had sent me, and it was completely bizarre. It was a letter. It said, I rescind my offer. I'm going what with our previous offer. We had a deal. We said we would exchange on the 31st. We did. You paid, and that was our deal. And then it said, and now my new deal that I'm offering you is this. And my new deal is I keep, I take Angela back. I give you back Miracle Man. I said, you give me Miracle Man. What are you saying here? You are taking back one thing in exchange for one thing that I held on to. This is Neil's recollection of the memo that Todd sent him. I don't know if Todd wrote it out. I don't know if it was dictated via a, an attorney. I have seen Todd write uh, letters in his in his penmanship i've witnessed it in my extreme studio several people did when he wrote a letter back to marvel uh, in a dispute he did it on it with his hand penmanship now now I, I believed he sent that actual letter he may have then had that uh typed up but he did it maybe for dramatic purposes in front of all of us so i don't know if neil is reading from a letter that todd writ- wrote him but he says uh he, he said it was completely bizarre. It was a letter saying, I rescind my previous offer, and then I just gave you the contents. I take Angela back. I give you back Miracle Man. He went on to say that we don't have an agreement. I'm taking Medieval Spawn royalties out of all future royalties. This thing is getting more and more and more contentious. Again, this is 
Neil cites this as 1998. Uh, Todd is then talking about recouping uh, royalty payments that he paid to Neil. He, uh, he says he is carefully counting down his recoup. And he says, at this point, Neil says, it's February 1999. I am off to tour. I'm ex- I am exhausted. I'm wiped. I read this stuff from Todd and I sent it straight to my attorney. Even though an agreement was not reached, Todd McFarlane was so impressed by Larry Martyr's efforts throughout this that he promptly poached him from Image Comics. This is reading from Daniel Best's The World vs. Todd McFarlane, page 108, tapping him to be president of TMP, Todd McFarlane Productions International, and to run the toy division. This would prove to be no easy task as the toy division had grown very rapidly and was now a bit of a mess. Here is a quote from Larry Martyr. When I came over from Image Comics, one of the first things Todd said to me was, you already know how to do comics. I want you to learn the toy business. So I spent two years working above the garage with Todd in his headquarters. So I had no responsibilities with comics. I felt we needed to streamline the organization in the various departments and to create managers of each department as a way to make the operations much more efficient so each manager would have specific responsibility. As negotiations broke down, the final word went to Neil Gaiman. At the end of the final meeting with Neil and Todd, Larry is there. Neil stands up to leave. This is a court that Neil says that McFarlane angered, comma, spoke. I'm going to bury you. It's going to cost you $250,000 in legal fees to fight me. Neil Gaiman looked at Todd McFarlane. Well, he calmly said, I'll just have to write another $250,000 screenplay on my ride home. But Neil Gaiman didn't write a screenplay on the, on the plane ride home. Instead, he contacted Joe Casada from Marvel Comics. Since becoming the editor-in-chief at Marvel Comics in 2000, Joe Casada had made no secret of his desire to have Neil Gaiman writing for Marvel. And I'm going to tell you right now, I can step out of this paragraph and tell you in person, this is the truth. He was actively... Joe Quesada was actively pursuing Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman. Alan Moore was asked to write the Fantastic Four umpteen times during the Bill Gemma's Joe Quesada era. At the same time, they desperately wanted Neil to come do something. So this was perfectly timed. Each time that Quesada had touched base with Gaiman, Neil would say no as he hadn't written an ongoing comic book series since 1996. However, now Neil had a plan. Marvels and Miracles was formed. It would exist to serve only one purpose, to regain Miracle Man and fight Todd McFarlane. A press conference was assembled and it was announced that all the proceeds from the then as untitled series that Neil would write would be handed over to Marvels and Miracles for the express purpose of funding the legal battle with Todd McFarlane. It wasn't quite the $250,000 screenplay, but in fact, Marvel Comics would be funding the legal battle between Neil Gaiman and Todd McFarlane. Let that sit with you. That happened. If you don't think that was the shot heard around the world, every major news outlet that covers comics covered that. Neil Gaiman and Marvel Comics are teaming up to oppose Todd and to finance Neil's legal battle with Todd McFarlane. That is the big boom, the big womp. You can see as we have detailed here, Neil was attempting to get a deal with Todd. 
that that is on the record that is part of the court history i'm not making this stuff up i am reading from deposition after deposition after deposition neil and todd tried to come to a deal they could not what ultimately uh happened was emotions took over it said todd comma angry neil says said i'm going to bury you neil then took action he partnered with marvel comics and they would set the stage for what is to come in part three of neil gaiman versus todd mcfarlane this thing's going three parts it is expansive but for all of you who kept saying well why well why there was no contract neil wanted a contract and when pressed for actual terms both sides will tell you that the terms kept changing whatever it was it goes to trial and what happens in in the third part you're going to hear all of the fallout it is severe it is consequential it is gripping there are there are times i can't believe that this actually happened and 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 this trial is going to take us and all of these different situations are going to take you cuz cuz when you think of 2002 think of attack of the clones think of attack that that that's the summer of the second prequel okay that's when this was happening okay when attack of the clones was coming out hayden christensen making his debut as anakin whatever else was going on in 2002 that's when you know the shots were fired todd had already gone through a tony twist trial and what is going to happen next and and the ultimate fallout from the tony twist and the neil gaiman is going to take you right up to the launch of the mcu we are going to be kissing 2008 uh before all of this completely gets resolved in 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 one case uh, a slight snag that is coming uh, doesn't get resolved till 2012 so we're talking the summer the avengers came out so so this carries through the large a large significant portion of the early millennium the the early i i i <laughs> Aughts? Did it ever really take the aughts? The aughts, but that's what they call it. But I'll just say the early two thousands. Part three, we are going to attempt to. Um, part three, honestly, is uh, is is a big, convoluted, uh, but but very consequential episode. But you can't go any further than Todd threatening Neil. Neil going to Marvel. Marvel officially saying we are going to team with Neil against todd this is crazy stuff this happened and i am so uh happy that if you are hearing this for the first time you're getting it from these actual court records some of you have never heard of this before by the end of this you will have given i will have given you so much of this detailed information that daniel best again in the in the first episode of this the forward talks about the person who writes the forward says there was so much detail and research put into this by Daniel Best, and he did. And I held off on this for over three years sharing this with you. Uh, I obtained this book prior to starting your observations, but it just felt like uh, at this point, this this happened. This this is on the record. It's documented. It was a conflict between two giant major comic book creators. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite this contentious. We're covering it, and and we will get into the conclusion of this on our final episode of neil gaiman versus todd mcfarlane and i am just so thankful as always that you guys are along for the ride listening to this show and uh and and hopefully learning a whole bunch of new stuff and expanding so many of you had why 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 couldn't neil just you know one person said to me be cool neil wanted a contract he wanted this lockdown 
in retrospect, I think it's fairly obvious there should have been a contract to lock this down. It would have protected Todd in the long term for whatever reason. As as Neil said, I'm tired of the love notes, of the love payments, and and the fact that uh, that 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 you know Todd kept saying, "Trust me, trust me, trust me." Uh, ended up in this lawsuit. So we'll 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 get to the conclusion of this on our very next episode. And I just thank you as always for listening and being so enthusiastic and coming along uh, on this ride with me. You know, in, in in addition to doing this podcast, I actually make comic books. And uh, currently, my comic books uh, that that I have on on sale, fresh 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 from the printer. Uh, Deadpool, Batter Blood, issues one, two, three, and four. I love making comics. Uh, I read another peer the other day on Facebook had said, you know, it, to do interiors and comics, it's got to be the love. It's got to be some sort of a crazy, crazy fever. And and I agree with that. And and I have it. And I and I don't think it'll ever break. And uh, on October eighteenth, the final concluding chapter. That's the date I was given. Is uh. For Deadpool, Batter Blood, it has Spider Man, Wolverine, Deadpool, Venom Pool, Cable, so many, all, all of these brand new bad guys we've assembled, and uh, it, it it ends in explosive fashion with a couple of twists and turns that I really hope you enjoy. Issues one, two, three, and four came out June, July, August, September. Just like that song from Friends, I'll be there for you. I'm on the I'm on the stands. I I I, I am giving you what I believe to be my very best work. I am I am pouring it in there. And as you listen to this episode, I will, uh, this episode will air on the uh, day of my birth. I will be 56 years old, 56 years old, still the same amazing uh, love and compassion for comic books. I'm so thrilled to be able to make them and, 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 and uh, share them with you. And I really do believe Deadpool, Bad or Blood. I've, I've isolated that I think issues three and four were a high watermark for me in terms of execution and getting that stuff out. I love the people that I work with, Chad Bowers, J. David Ramos. Um, I'm excited about these comics. Go to your comic store. They should have copies on the shelf waiting for you. Uh, issue five, the conclusion is coming. Then in November, I am part of a special uh, one-shot called Deadpool Seven Slaughters. I have yet to fully reveal the the cool stuff that I have going on in, in that particular uh special i i i'm really excited that the the, i did a 10-page story i hope you dig it so october and november you're not done with me yet 2023 uh we are still going strong at the end of the day you'll have you'll have you'll have gotten about 150 pages from me this year in 2023 as i continue to try and contribute to this industry that i love so very much i will uh, be be looking forward to getting that those books into your hands again. One, two, and th- three, and four of Deadpool Batterblood are available right now. If you want to participate in some of my latest work, and I just thank you as always. If you want to see me in person, I'm going to be at the New York Comic Con in just about a week from now in October. It's it's like 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. It's one of those dates. I hit at some point those those dates line up. Uh, it's it's that week. I'll be there. I'll be at my booth. I'm going to be at the Hot Flips booth. It's right there, center stage of Artist Alley. As you come in, you guys know that the the Artist Alley of New York Comic Con is like other people's comic conventions, entire shows. This is the most banging, incredible Artist Alley of all space and time. It's 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 the highlight of each and every visit to New York. I hope you see me. We're, we're going to have our Captain America, the homage to my very famous Cap's boobs cover, the Sam Wilson homage with the new Captain America on it. We've got the 
the, the, the two different variants on that. We hope to, to, uh, to see you that we are making our physical debut of that comic will be there. You will, you will be able to get it for the first time from me signed uh, at the New York Comic Con. So there's another reason you should come by and say hi. Again, if you just want to say hi, uh, fist bumps all day long. Love to do it. Love to see you. It, it, it's, it's part of the fun. I know some of you are going to have uh, lists of all the different people that you want to see. Great. Do that. Uh, if you want to walk by and wave, uh, I'll be there and hopefully I'll catch you and I can wave back at you. So I'll be at the New York Comic Con here, uh, second week of October, uh, Javits Center. I'll be at the Hot Flips booth in Artist Alley. And again, I very much look forward to seeing you there. Oh, you can get a custom chisel signature. It, it, it's time intensive. I don't want to draw that on the show floor in front of people who have salty pretzels, beer, wine, uh, uh, slurpees, chocolate. Uh, there's dipping Dots uh, that, that, that are sold right in, in the vicinity. I don't want those dropping and falling while I'm trying to, uh, to curate the, this, this, uh, this chisel logo that I put on your Captain America exclusive. We are asking you if you want those in advance to reserve them so I can do them offsite and bring them for you to obtain and pick up. Uh, go to robliefeldcreations.com. My name, creations.com, all one, robliefeldcreations.com. You'll see, uh, you can buy my VIP, VIP packs so you can skip the lines and get, get to the front section with the VIP people and, and get in and out and onto your other stuff. That's really the, the advantage that you have told me over this last decade that that's why you value those VIP packs is because you can get to the head of the line and you can reserve a chisel signature. That's the only way we're going to be um, getting those done. So, so get on that if that is something that truly does interest you. Hey, I am all across social media and uh, always talking up this show. You, you are just supporting the show in such an amazing way. And I just want to say thank you so very much. Uh, we, th- this entire episode, the, the, the Neil Gaiman versus Todd McFarlane was launched as a bonus episode, and you showed up in record numbers, powering us to the top. Once again, it's incredible. I just thank you so much for being there. You're an amazing audience. Uh, you, you can catch me all across social media as I promote the show and the other work that I do. I am on Twitter at Robert Liefeld, R-O-B-E-R-T. L-I-E-F-E-L-D. The other day, somebody said, no, Rob, it's called X now. Whatever. X, Twitter, Twitter, X. I am at Robert Leifold over there. I've got one of those pesky blue checks that tells you it's really me. I am legit. I am the Rob that you are searching for. <laughs> and, and and we're going to have some comments and some talks and some messaging, and it's going to be fun. And I'm so thrilled. I am so thrilled that you would partake uh, with me over on that particular platform. On Instagram, my video diary of my life, of my family, of my loves, of my comics, of the food that I'm eating, the people that I'm hanging out with, the places I'm going. I Over on Instagram, I post maybe too much. I'm at Rob Liefeld, just R-O-B-L-I-E-F-E-L-D, at Rob Liefeld on Instagram. Look forward to seeing you over on Instagram. Appreciate your follows, your comments, your messages, your DMs, all of it. I see it. I try and interact with you as often as I possibly can. Facebook. We have a group. It's called Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond. Please come find us. Come find us. Rob Liefeld, face, uh, Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and Beyond is our group over on Facebook. Myself or a gentleman named Terry Sala, S-A-L-A. Uh, are, we are the administrators. We will click you through onto the other side. So many of the conversations that we start here continue there. Great interaction. Uh, talking comics, toys. There's art contests that Terry Sala runs. So get on that. Be a part of it. It's so much fun. We look forward to seeing you. We did Twitter. We did Instagram. 
We did Facebook, Twitter, Robert at Robert Liefeld, Instagram at Rob Liefeld, Facebook group, Rob Liefeld, Marvel Extreme and beyond. Oh man, I cannot wait to catch you, all of you. And I love seeing across all the different social medias, you guys are getting your books back from CGC. I, I mean, I didn't even do that a month ago. And I see you guys getting these books back with the Liefeld label, uh, the encapsulation, the nine sixes, the nine eights. Thank you so much for sharing those with me. It thrills me that you've got them back in your possession, uh, especially, you know, just going into the end of the year. It's cool. You, you, guys, you guys have that stuff. Uh, we did the work, CGC did the work and they got it back. And I just thank you so much for participating in that in-house private signing. There's already being rumblings about a second one in 2024. So we will keep you posted as to when that happens. Uh, what, what, what a fun time that was. And I'm so happy that again, across all of these different social media platforms, you're sharing with me the work that you got back, the work that CGC put into uh, getting you the very best condition, the very best encapsulation, your slab as we call them. So, Hey, at the end of each and every show, I encourage you, I want you to be doing your very best. Your mental, your emotional, your physical, your spiritual health is of absolute tremendous importance. And like me, maybe you need an entire day on the couch watching football like I did this weekend. And my football teams, all of them, just, I probably lost hair. I lost fingernails. Uh, I probably lost weight, sweating, and jumping up and, and down as much as I could. It, it is a ringer. These teams are putting us through. So I'm not even sure that was, I'm not even sure that qualified as, as relaxing, but, but I think I took a nap afterwards and that was relaxing, but I also cracked my omnibuses, my comic books, my trade paperbacks. Uh, I looked through them. I got incredibly enthused, inspired. I read some fun articles. I read chapters in, 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 in some books. I, I, I just, I, I took a break, took a break from drawing comics, from doing the podcast and just engaged in fun, went out to dinner, had, had dinner with some friends, with my wife. I uh, just had some great hang time. Went and saw a great movie, The Creator. You should see it. It's so good. Oh, man, it is hardcore, excellent sci-fi. Indulge yourself every once in a while. That's, that's, that's the message. Get off the grind. Get off the treadmill. Uh, take some time for yourself. Escape into the food and the, and the, and the fiction and, 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 and the friends that, that, that will recharge your batteries. And that is my hope for you. And I am, boom, fist bumping you. And of course, I'm going to mention that I had Reese's Big Cups all throughout the weekend. One a day. I'm not sure what it keeps away, but I have one anyway. So, hey, I hope you're taking care of yourself. I am uh, rooting for you over here on Rob's Observations. Thank you once again for listening. Please come back. I'll be here. I'll be here waiting. We will most absolutely, inevitably, certainly talk again real soon. 